0: Good morning.
1: Good
0: morning. Oh, we are so blessed. This is, this is a privilege. Our brother this morning, uh, Daniel, prayed that the God is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and He rules over all the nations. And we got a nice taste of that last night with Isaiah 10 and Sennacherib, and the Lord ruling over the kingdoms of men. And with that, I want to, I want to start this martyr a little differently because it involves kings and kingdoms. In First Timothy two one through four, Paul tells us this and exhorts us. I exhort, I exhort therefore, that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. What kind of men? For kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. But, and this is kind of a small point, I don't want to stay on this too long, but a question with this is, do you pray for kings, for authorities? Paul gives us a reason to do it, and we right. get to do it right now. We do it every week. We've done it every day of our lives so far in this nation, to lead quiet and peaceable lives. That's right. But how do we use yeah. those quiet and peaceable lives while we have them? Do we use them to walk in all godliness and honesty, That's right. or do we just waste it because of the luxury and the comfort, and it's, right. it's easy to just kind of go with the flow and all of that? The, the time of life that this martyr lived in was changed very drastically, very quickly, simply with the change of a government authority, a king, or really in this case, a queen So I just want us to keep that in mind. How much do we pray for our government and thank God for the quiet and peaceable lives we get to live here, and then how do we show them that thanks by how we use it? So the context of this martyr that I've hinted at is the reign of Queen Mary, Bloody Mary, who sought to return England to the Catholic Church. She reigned from 1553 to 1558, and the way that she took power was her cousin succeeded her after Edward IV, who was favorable toward Protestants, and she had her cousin killed so that she could assume the throne. And after her reign taking the throne, she killed all those who opposed the Church of Rome, and it's estimated that during her reign she had about 300 religious dissenters burned at the stake. And this is one of them. And of course, in the Lord's perfect timing with Mary and all that being preached on lately, I couldn't help but notice with this martyr Luke 2.19 fit very well with her, as we'll see in a little bit, but I'm going to remind us of it just to keep it in mind. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Amen. This woman is a great woman for a young lady to use in as an example of what a Mary would do in this kind of situation under persecution and the fear of death. And so I begin with our martyr. Her name is Mrs. Joyce Lewis. This lady was the, life, the wife of Mr. T. Lewis of Manchester. She had received the Romish religion as true until the burning of that pious martyr, Mr. Saunders at Coventry. Mr. Saunders was a reformed reverend uh, that was burned at the stake in Coventry under Queen Mary. Understanding that his death arose from a refusal to receive the mass, she began to inquire into the ground of his refusal and her conscience, as it began to be enlightened, became restless and alarmed. In this inquietude, she resorted to Mr. John Glover, who lived near, and requested that he would unfold those rich sources of gospel knowledge he possessed, particularly upon the subject of transubstantiation. He easily succeeded in convincing her that the mummery of popery, and the Mass were at variance with God's most holy word, and honestly reproved her for following too much the vanities of a wicked world. It was to her indeed a word in season, for she soon became weary of her formal sinful life and resolved to abandon the Mass and the dilatrous worship. Though compelled by her husband's violence to go to church, her contempt of the holy water and other ceremonies was so manifest that she was accused before the bishop for despising the sacramentals. A citation addressed to her immediately followed, which was given to Mr. Lewis who in a fit of passion held a dagger to the throat of the officer and made him eat it after which he caused him to drink it down and then sent him away but for this bishop summoned but for this bishop summoned Mr Lewis before him as well as his wife the former readily submitted that would be Mr Lewis readily submitted but the latter resolutely affirmed his wife that in refusing holy water she neither offended god nor any part of his laws she, sent home for, she was sent home for a month, her husband being bound for her appearance, during which time Mr. Glover impressed upon her the necessity of doing what she did, not from self-vanity, but for the honor and glory of God. Amen. Mr. Glover and others earnestly exhorted Lewis, the woman, to forfeit the money he was bound in, sorry, the husband, to forfeit the money he was bound in rather than subject his wife to certain death. But he was deaf to the voice of humanity and delivered her over to the bishop, who soon found sufficient cause to consign her to a loathsome prison when she was several times brought for examination. At the last time, the bishop reasoned with her upon the fitness of her coming to Mass and receiving as sacred the sacrament and sacramentals of the Holy Ghost. If these things were in the word of God, said Mrs. Lewis, I would with all my heart receive, believe, and esteem them, The bishop, with the most ignorant and impious effrontery, replied, If thou wilt believe no more than what is warranted by scriptures, thou art in a state of damnation. Astonished at such a declaration, this worthy sufferer ably rejoined that his words were as impure as they were profane. After condemnation, she lay a twelfth month in prison, the sheriff not being willing to put her to death in his time, though he had been but just chosen. When her death warrant came from London, she sent for some friends, whom she consulted in what manner her death might be more glorious to the name of God and injurious to the cause of God's enemies. Wonderful. Smilingly, she said, As for death, I think but lightly of. When I know that I shall behold the amiable countenance of Christ my dear Savior, the ugly face of death does not much trouble me. Wonderful. The evening before she suffered... Two priests were anxious to visit her, but she refused both their confession and absolution when she could hold a better communication with the high priest of souls, the Lord Jesus Christ. About three o'clock in the morning, Satan began to shoot his fiery darts by putting into her mind to doubt whether she was chosen to eternal life, and Christ died for her. Her friends readily pointed out to her those consolatory passages of scripture, which comfort the fainting heart and treat of the Redeemer who, talk, who taketh away the sins of the world. About eight o'clock, the sheriff announced to her that she had but an hour to live. She was at first cast down, but this soon passed away, and she thanked God that her life was about to be devoted to his service. Amen. The sheriff granted permission for two friends to accompany her to the stake an indulgence for which he was afterwards severely handled. Mr. Renninger, and mister Burner led her to the place of execution, and going to which from its distance, her great weakness, and the press of the people, she nearly fainted. Three times she prayed fervently that God would deliver the land from popery and the idolatrous mass, and the people, from for the most part, as well as the sheriff, said Amen. Amen. When she had prayed, she took the cup, which had been filled with water to refresh her, and said, I drink to all them that unfeignedly love the gospel of Christ and wish for the abolition of popery. Her friends and a great many women of the place drank with her, for which most of them afterward were enjoyed in penance. When chained to the stake, her countenance was cheerful, and the roses of her cheeks were not abated. Her hands were extended toward heaven until the fire rendered them powerless, when her soul was received into the arms of the Creator. The duration of her agony was but short, as the undersheriff, at the request of her friends, had prepared such excellent fuel that she was in a few minutes overwhelmed with smoke and flame. The case of this lady drew a tear of pity from everyone who had a heart, not callous, to humanity. And so she died. And that's our woman. Amen. It's a record Thank that you, that we're blessed to have of all these martyrs to remind us of how thankful we should be for what she had. And to give us an example of how to face trials, there are moments here where she was discouraged. And there are moments where you can look at Peter, the apostles, even Mary, and others. They didn't do it perfectly. But they always had faith, and they were fully convinced of Christ their Savior. And that gave them the strength to carry on and the the foundation that they needed for their faith to devote their lives to Him for what He had done for them. Let us be provoked in the same way as it's already been prayed this morning for the glory of God and our Savior Jesus Christ.
1: Amen.
0: You heard about Bloody Mary and the
1: martyr's memorial that was presented to you this morning. Remember that you heard that she reigned from 1553 to 1558. Fifty years later, King James I of England, the sixth of Scotland, reigned, and a man tried to take his life They found him and all his co-conspirators. They hung and quartered him and pulled him apart and dissected his body while he was alive. They found out every conspirator, his name was Guy Fawkes. England began celebrating Guy Fawkes' night in which they would burn effigies of the Pope. And so that lady had her prayer that she prayed three times on her way to the stake answered in the nation of England. Our mother England, in certain respects, changed greatly to be a Protestant nation and to be a Baptist nation. I remind you that in 1611, we got our King James Bible. That was a few years after Guy Fawkes had been pulled apart and his Catholic conspirators pulled apart in 1642. Seven Baptist congregations in London, England issued the first Baptist Confession of Faith. In 1689, 100 Baptist congregations in London issued the second Baptist Confession of Faith. In 1870, Charles Spurgeon built the Metropolitan Tabernacle in which 20,000 would sit and listen to him preach without musical instruments, knowing that he was going to leave the pulpit and smoke his cigars and drink wine. But he would never have a musical instrument in the house of God. And so we see that England did change, and England has continued to change, and now it's a pretty pagan nation with hardly any worshippers in it, and the strict and particular Baptist congregations there are very small. And... uh, very few of them left. But God does raise up kings and put down kings, and he raised up some kings to change England for a while so that the Baptists were able to come out of hiding, and some of them came in entire churches to America. And so America is, has a great deal of Baptists, and still does. Not as faithful as they should be, but let's be as faithful as we should be. You can look forward to Guy Fawkes Day and celebrating it in just a few months. Even here in America, we ought to do it. They still do it there. They don't understand it very well. You know, it's in the history books and you can look it up so easily. But let's remember that God had mercy that way.